When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. Welcome to Furious Finest, the podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Christopher Bruffett. Chris, how you been doing this week? I hope things are doing well with the, the move being fully complete now, right? Oh yeah, we're settled in. Everything's going well. Really happy to be recording another episode of Furious Finest. Oh yes. Really excited about some of the new stuff coming up. Really excited for some new stuff we have to announce about the pod today. Just cool stuff. It's a good time. We're finishing out our Guardians series today as well, which has been a really fun ride. We hope you guys have been enjoying it. Hopefully we get to return to this in the future if we get other Guardians. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll get Mantis and Bug. Oh, I sure hope so. That would be great. I would be very into that. But this is the end of our Guardians, Chris. Today, we're talking about two characters that you and I actually have a lot of love for. So that's kind of just an enticing thing to leave up front. It being the last Guardians episode, it does feel a little bittersweet to me because we got to move on. This was a fun faction to do. It really was. And I learned quite a bit doing the research for these episodes and today, as a matter of fact, is going to be the one I learned the absolute most on. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit weird, but there's some really good stuff. And I'm going to talk about why I continue to love Ronan more and more. But before we get to that, it's been an exciting week for us lately. So we launched a new logo for the podcast for all of our banners and all of our social media profiles and all that excellent stuff. And it was done by a good friend named Ross Champlain. He's a new graphic design artist, and I think he did a great job. And we're really excited about it because, Chris, you and I had a couple conversations off mic, and I think it fits the feel of our show and our love of the characters and comics and game even better than our original logo. I agree. I think they're really fun. I love the colors. I love the throwback art. Yes. The team choices, we're going to have a lot of cool rotational type things based on what we're talking about coming through. You know, I, I think you're 100% right when you say it kind of encapsulates the show better, kind of captures what we're about a little bit better. And we've got future plans with the art as well, Chris. We want to 
potentially do variations on it and things like that. And that's just a plan down the line because we want more heroes, villains, and characters of all different people to be represented on our art. That's what's really exciting about this. Hopefully, if Ross doesn't get worn out by us and our requests, we're going to have different variations of the logo over time with the better fits our certain series. But most importantly, that's going to be more versions of our logo to not only kind of keep you guys in the theme of what we're currently in, but more designs for our merch and our t-shirts, which are finally fully launched. We launched a T public page with these wonderful logos and we're going to expand that more and more as time goes on. You know, this thing takes time and we hope you guys like what's up on our T public so far. So if you search Furies, find us on T public or of course, in our show notes of every episode, we're going to have the link to T public. Just check it out. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, notebooks, the list goes on. T public's great when it comes to that type of stuff, just getting it out there to people. And you know, this is a really great way for us to start with merch because, you know, merch is quite a big endeavor and costs a lot of money, all this stuff. But T public kind of cuts a lot of those doors down up front. You don't really make profit, but you get your stuff out to the world, which I think is what Chris and I want really bad. Get you guys this stuff. And I think it's a really fun design, Chris. I'm really looking forward to wearing the shirt and having the retro throwback characters on it as well. And also the other teams coming in the future. So that's a little bit of a tease, you know. That would be very cool. I think you guys are going to love it. Check out our new logo and our T Public page and let us know what you think. But today, we've got to get into these two stellar, interesting characters. It is Drax the Destroyer and Ronan the Accuser. So Chris, let's just get right into it. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games Inc. Go to www.discountgamesinc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting it with a monthly contribution. We would love to thank all of our patrons for their support. And this week, a very special and big thank you to Kenny R. Kenny, thank you so much for becoming a new patron. Thank you, Kenny. It really means the world to us and keeps us going with this content and our production and all the stuff that we want to make Fury's Finest what it can be every time an episode comes out. And of course, a huge thank you to our Avenger producer, Matthew R. So guys, once again, we have several tiers on the Patreon. They're all different. They all gain access to the Discord. They all gain a couple extra things on top of that. We can't thank these people enough that choose these higher tiers because you guys are really helping us pay the bills invest in things like equipment and things like art, which do take a lot of time and money. And it really means the world to us because we want to continue to put money into the show and make it the best it can be. We're coming up, Chris, on our one-year anniversary pretty soon. And I think we've progressed a lot through the year, but if you guys want to help us progress more and make the show the best it can possibly be and check out some of those goals on our Patreon. We've got a lot of goals on there about live streaming and potentially writing blogs and things like that. It's all stuff we want to work on, sideshows, things like that. So the biggest way to make that happen is just jump on the Patreon. And most important part of that is you get to join our wonderful patron Discord. It's just this awesome, awesome group of people that chat about MCP every day on Discord. It's great. All right, Chris, let's get into lore. All right, let's do it. Well, guys, once again, we're doing a double character episode. So... These two do not have a story that intertwines, so we're going to be doing it one at a time. We're going to start each section with Drax and with Ronan. It's going to be a little bit of a wild ride, but it'll be a lot of fun, I promise. 
So let's start off with Drax the Destroyer. Who is Drax the Destroyer? Drax's origin story relates to that of Arthur Douglas, whom is human and whose family is attacked by the supervillain Thanos while on vacation. Needing a champion to combat Thanos, the being known as Kronos took Arthur's spirit. Arthur died in the attack by Thanos and placed that spirit in a powerful new body and Drax the Destroyer was born. Drax's powers include enhanced strength and resilience, flight, and the ability to project energy blasts from his hands. The character often battled Thanos and on occasion the superheroes Captain Marvel and Adam Warlock. He was a member of the group Infinity Watch. In 2004, the character lost his flight and his energy blasts and a portion of his strength and resilience. This version of Drax played a role in the crossover comic book storylines Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest and became a member of the relaunched Guardians of the Galaxy. So, little wild ride there just to the beginning there with Drax. Right. The whole Arthur Douglas thing, I did not know about that coming in. Yeah. It was quite illuminating for me. I mean, some of you are cursing me out for not knowing that story already, but that's okay. I had no idea either, Chris, and I did not know he was on this sort of cosmic power level early on and then he kind of was brought down because even the Drax we know that we just talked about that Drax is really strong too but the Drax before that was even stronger so that's a pretty illuminating element for me so let's move on to Ronan the Accuser who is Ronan he is the supreme accuser of the Kree Empire the militaristic government of a fictional alien race known as the Kree and is commonly depicted as an adversary of superhero teams such as the Fantastic Four the Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy. In later years, the character was depicted as more of a noble and heroic figure as a member of various superhero groups, such as Star Force, United Front, and the Annihilators. The Annihilators are awesome. I highly recommend checking that out. He was married to the Inhuman Crystal, who is a princess of the Inhuman Royal family. That's kind of also interesting. That's our first real big tie-in to the Inhumans, whom I assume will be in Marvel Crisis Protocol at some point. You know, kind of a cool little tie-in there. We'll get that whenever we receive Quicksilver as well, which I'm sure will happen eventually. I don't know, man. I don't know anything. We can only hope and want, which is very exciting. You know, I noticed with here too, Chris, Ronan, very similar story to a recent episode of ours, Groot. Groot being sort of this early on, mm -hmm. this sort of one-dimensional, more interesting-looking villain, and they kind of develop him more as time goes on. Groot went a completely different path, became a different Groot entirely. Ronan became this more noble character later on. I love the complexity. He became more of a leader rather than a villain. He had to begin to act in the best interest of the Kree Empire instead of just being a complete heal. So now he has to actually work with heroes from time to time because their interests align. You know, he's not afraid to go against Earth and the Avengers still. It's just sometimes they happen to be fighting for the same thing, but not always. Don't think that he's uh, always on our side. Yeah, he's just definitely not a villain anymore. He's more of a gray character, which yes. is a pretty interesting take. And I kind of have a huge soft spot in my heart for gray characters. And Me too, man. That are written well. So I'm a big fan of this guy. When did Drax first appear in comics? Drax was created by Jim Starlin with the help of writer Mike Frederick. And Drax first appeared in The Invincible Iron Man, number 55, February 1973. What a twist. The Iron Man comics. Yes, sir. 
What about Ronin? Ronin was created by writer Stan Lee and artist Jack Kirby. No big surprise there. Yeah. He first appeared in Fantastic Four, number 65, in August of 1967. These guys have been around a long time. Yes, they have. Well, let's get into their history. Once again, we're going to be beginning with Drax. While driving through a desert with his wife and daughter, Arthur Douglas's car is attacked by a spaceship piloted by Thanos, who thinks the humans have seen him. Arthur's daughter, Heather, survives the crash and is adopted by Thanos's father, Mentor, and raised on Titan. She will later become Moondragon. Moondragon will have a large part to play in all of this wonderful Marvel cosmic comic books from the mid-2000s that I constantly beg you all to read. Needing a champion to combat the threat from Thanos, Mentor and the Titan god Kronos capture Douglas's spirit and place it in a powerful new body. He's rechristened Drax the Destroyer, and his sole purpose is to kill Thanos. With Iron Man, Drax battles Thanos and the Blood Brothers, but Thanos escapes. While trying to prevent Thanos from getting the Cosmic Cube, Drax's memories are restored to him. After seeing Captain Marvel defeat Thanos, Drax attacks Captain Marvel for robbing him of his purpose. Drax wanders space in grim contemplation, searching for a resurrected Thanos. By the time Drax has learned that Thanos has managed to rematerialize himself, Thanos has once again been destroyed in battle with Captain Marvel, the Avengers, and Adam Warlock. Alongside Captain Marvel, Drax battles Isaac, Stellarax, Lord Gaia, Elysis, and Chaos. Sometime later, Drax, possessed by an alien entity, battles his daughter Moondragon and the superhero Thor. After Drax recovers, he and Moondragon journey through space in search of knowledge. Eventually, they come upon the planet Bobanis, a world of humanoid aliens caught in a vast civil war. Moondragon uses her mental powers to quell the conflict and then decides to set herself up as the world's goddess. Drax recognizes that her ambitions are ignoble and so sends their ship to Earth with a holographic distress message. The Avengers respond and discover Moondragon's world of mentally enforced tranquility. Freed by the Avengers from his daughter's mental domination, Drax advances toward her, seeking to end her menace. In order to stop him, Moondragon mentally forces Drax's life essence to vacate his artificial body. When Thanos is resurrected by Mistress Death, Kronos reanimates Drax the Destroyer and grants him even greater physical power. However, Kronos does not consider the effects of Drax's death and the Destroyer's mind retains the damage done by Moondragon. Alongside a multitude of other heroes, Drax helps battle Thanos and Nebula for possession of the Infinity Gauntlet. Drax is chosen by Adam Warlock to safeguard the Power Gem as a member of the Infinity Watch. After the energy vampire Rune steals the gems, the Watch members go their separate ways. Drax returns to Titan with Moondragon, who successfully petitions Kronos to restore Drax's mind to its former acuity at the cost of some physical power. Thus, Drax is restored to his original condition. Drax is accused of the murder of Elysis and several others, but is cleared when it is discovered that the creature Siphon was manipulating him. While seeking out Moondragon, Drax enters into an altercation with Genus Vell. In the course of the struggle, Drax is transported to the Microverse with Genus, where, for a time, he finds acceptance and happiness on the planet Kai. Later, Drax is seen on a prison transport ship with Pybok, Lunatic, and the Blood Brothers. The ship crashes in Alaska, and Drax attacks the others to keep them from harming innocent lives. He mistakes a young girl named Cammy for his daughter and tries to protect him from Pybok. 
Drax appears to be killed, but a slimmer, smarter Drax emerges from the larger shell of the dead body. And this is modern Drax. This is 2004. When a second prison ship arrives to recapture the prisoners, both Drax and Cammy are arrested. Surviving Annihilus' attack on the intergalactic prison known as the Kiln, Drax and Cammy team up with the last members of the Zandarian Nova Corps, Richard Ryder. Together, they fight against the advancing Annihilation Wave as Drax trains Nova to be a warrior. Drax learns that Thanos has taken Moondragon hostage and that she will be killed if Drax pursues him. During a doomed battle between the Annihilation Wave and the United Front, Drax stays behind to fight off the invaders while Nova and the rest of the group, including Cammy, finish the evacuation. Drax fights his way to the Annihilation Wave's mothership where he finds Thanos and kills him. Drax helps to free a captive Galactus who teleports Moondragon and Drax to a far-off planet to spare them from his wrath on the Annihilation Wave. Afterwards, Moondragon says Drax just disappeared. Cammy is later seen alive, allied with Screet, one of Thanos' powerful miniature assistants. When the Phalanx invade the Kree homeworld, Drax is assimilated as a select of the Phalanx hive mind. They dispatch him, along with Gamora, to apprehend Nova, who had fled the planet. Following Nova to Gavitch, the home planet of the Technarchy, parental race of the Phalanx, Drax and Gamora are freed by the Phalanx by the Technarch Tyro. Together, they return to Hala, where they help him defeat Ultron. Star-Lord then recruits Drax for the new Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians are forced to ally themselves with the resurrected Thanos and travel into an alternate reality known as the Cancerverse. While experiencing a bout of madness, Drax attacks Thanos and is killed. Drax later reappears with the Guardians on Earth without reference to this death. And that's where we're going to leave the story of Drax the Destroyer. You can catch up. Go to your local comic shop. Find some cheap used books. You can find some of these Drax stories, man. Some are some of the best stuff we've covered on the show so far. I mean, once again, Annihilation, Annihilation Conquest. Drax plays a pretty big role. Not quite as big as Ronan, which we're about to get into. Right. He plays a big role in those comics like you just went over, and it's worth your time. So let's talk about Ronan now. Ronan was born on the planet Hala, the capital of the Kree Empire in the Greater Megalonic Cloud. Ronan later joined the Accuser Corps, who are the Kree equivalent of military governors and jurists. His rise through their ranks was extraordinary. He eventually became the third most powerful being in the Kree Empire. The Supreme Intelligence ultimately appointed him Supreme Accuser of the Kree Empire. He is known as simply Ronan the Accuser. On his first mission, Ronan is sent to Earth to investigate the destruction of a robotic Kree sentry at the hands of the Fantastic Four. This team defeats Ronan, which prompts a Kree expedition to spy on and assess Earth. Captain Marvell is a member of the team and he interacts with Ronan frequently during his mission. Ronan secretly plans with Zarek to overthrow the Kree leader, the Supreme Intelligence, believing the Empire should not be ruled by a non-humanoid entity, but Ronan is paralyzed by the psionic powers of none other than Rick Jones. I know a lot of you are asking who Rick Jones is, but we'll get there eventually, I promise. And control of the Kree Empire reverts to the Supreme Intelligence. Ronan is subsequently mentally dominated by the Supreme Intelligence, and battles Marvell on multiple occasions. Ronan later regains his sanity and returns to his former position as Supreme Accuser. During the second Kree Scroll War, Ronan executes a scroll duplicate of the Silver Surfer. During the Kree Shi'ar War, Ronan joins Starforce. 
When Earth becomes a prison planet, Ronin serves as its warden. The Supreme Intelligence then plans to subvert the Galactic Council and use Ego, the living planet, as a weapon. Although Ronin is able to elevate his power by tapping into Ego's own energy, Mr. Fantastic, Iron Man, Giant Man, and Bruce Banner manage to create a machine that transfers Ego's essence into Quasar. The weakened Ronin is defeated and captured by the U.S. agent. When Ronan is falsely accused of treason by Tana Nile, he discovers that he's been framed by a highly placed member of a Kree house. After defending the Kree Empire against the Annihilation Wave, Ronan clears his name and kills his betrayer, although not before he lobotomizes the Supreme Intelligence. In an act of mercy, Ronan kills the Supreme Intelligence and becomes the ruler of the Kree Empire. During the Phalanx conquest of the Kree, Ronan works with the Super Scroll and Wraith to free his people. Also, a very cool storyline. When the Inhumans seek aid from the Kree against the Scroll's secret invasion, Ronan agrees on the condition that the Inhuman Princess Crystal marries him. On their wedding day, Ronan is severely beaten by the Shi'ar Imperial Guard and hospitalized. He does not fully recover until after the War of Kings is over. During the war with the Cancerverse, Ronan is a member of Nova's main attack force. In an effort to prevent further conflict, Ronan joins the Annihilators, who protect Galador from the Dire Wraiths and oppose the Universal Church of Truths attempt to revive the Magus. Ronan is soon separated from his wife, Crystal, under the orders of Black Bolt, the leader of the Inhumans, as part of a truce made between Black Bolt and the Supreme Intelligence to ensure peace between Inhumans and the Kree Empire. Crystal and Ronan are deeply saddened by this decision, as their arranged marriage had eventually become a strong relationship. In the Infinity storyline, Ronan the Accuser and the Supreme Intelligence appeared as members of the Galactic Council. Ronan later fights Thanos' minion, Black Dwarf of the Black Order, and kills him. Spoilers, everybody. <laughs> we'll be talking about that soon. Very soon. Ronan the Accuser steals the Black Vortex from the cosmically powered X-Men and, against the Supreme Intelligence's orders, submits to the Vortex and receives cosmic powers. Mr. Knife later steals the Vortex and destroys Hala and the Supreme Intelligence. Ronan and the Imperial Fleet survive, but the last remaining seed of the Supreme Intelligence was stolen from the Collector by Star-Lord's half-sister, Victoria. Ronan wanders the ruins of Hala alone, while remembering the names of the Kree that fell in battle when he came into conflict with Novar and the Inhumans, except for Crystal. Thanks to Crystal's reasoning, Ronan blames himself for disobeying the Supreme Intelligence's orders. After freeing his captive, Ronan witnesses Novar planting the seed of his reality's Plex Intelligence into the remains of the Supreme Intelligence. Even though Hala has a new leader, Ronan still blames himself for what happened to the planet. In the pages of Death of the Inhumans, Karnak confronts the unnamed Kree commander of a Kree contingency that was sent away to explore and chart the outer reaches of the universe. After generations away, they finally return to Hala, only to find it in ruins. The Kree commander also reveals that they eliminated Ronan, exiled those loyal to him, and decided to use the Inhumans as part of their plans to rebuild Hala and bring a new dawn to the Kree Empire. However, Black Bolt eventually found out that the Kree commander had lied to Karnak about Ronan's fate. The Kree actually captured him and the Kree soldiers loyal to him and used them for gruesome experiments. Now, merely a cyborg, 
Ronan begged Black Bolt to end his misery as he apologized for all the pain he had caused to the Inhumans, to which Black Bolt complies by whispering, you are forgiven. Man, what an end. What an end. It's intense. It's a good story, and there's a lot of good comic books in there. I would highly recommend you go and try to find, you know, the Kree Scroll War and Kree Shi'ar War. You can find those for pretty cheap. Of course. I'm going to keep singing the tunes of Annihilation, Annihilation Conquest, because of course, Ronan plays a large role in these, Chris, which is very exciting. And it's this noble, gray, leaning good Ronan that I am very, very into. He's become one of my new favorites in the Marvel Universe after reading all these more and more. He's just such an interesting, compelling character who is completely and wholeheartedly driven by his motivations and his religious beliefs and his fervor to his people, if that makes sense. They always say the most compelling villains of all time are the villains that are the heroes of their own stories. And I would take that one step further with Ronan because he will do whatever needs to be done for his people. And on top of that, he's sort of this like noble leader, but he's also ruthless. So it's just this really interesting dynamic we have with the character Pretty great. It is wonderful indeed. He's also kind of like a wandering knight samurai at a lot of times too. And that's kind of an interesting thing because his name is Ronan. And on top of that, his convictions are so cemented in who he is that he just feels like a real character. Well, it sometimes borders on zealotry. It does. So his struggles with that are kind of compelling, but a lot of it is Kirby just nailed that character design. Ronan is such a cool looking character. Right. And he's only improved over time, like with other artists continuing to refine and use modern techniques and stuff. And of course, his universal weapon is such a cool weapon Mm -hmm. as well. You've got this just really complex character with a cool look, with a great weapon. He's physically strong. He's mentally sharp. It's just a very interesting and different character than we do on the show normally. We normally do pretty concrete heroes or villains. And Drax and Ronan both are kind of movers and shakers in this realm of the binary heroes and villains. They're not necessarily one way or the other any given time. Drax leans more good, typically, and Ronan leans a little more bad, but they're both kind of neutral at their baseline. And that's kind of different for us. A little bit. We need to get an MCU because it is more binary and less nuanced in the MCU because they had to have these guys have really clear motivations for the new audience. So let's talk about Drax's appearance in the MCU. Drax, of course, is revealed in Guardians of the Galaxy on the prison ship. So once again, tying to our lore section today, Drax's time on the prison ship, we're kind of bringing this full circle. It's when Peter... Gamora, Rocket, and Groot basically recruit him into their team in order to break out of the prison. So Drax is obviously a large part of this movie, Chris, and every Guardians movie after this for good reason. But I think he's strongest in this first movie, Guardians of the Galaxy 1, because he's used less for humor, even though he's got some really great humor. And of course, the way they run with the humor initially for Drax is everything to Drax's race is literal. So even sarcasm, jokes, little quips here and there made by other characters, it's all literal to Drax. And everything is so serious to him, which is great. But then, of course, you know, we have moments in the movie where Rocket, Drax, and Groot get in a fist fight when they're gambling and drinking. Drax is kind of this, he's a lot angrier in this movie because he wants to avenge his wife and daughter's death at the hands of Ronan. A little bit of a change there. Via 
command of Thanos. So they've kind of twisted that line a little bit where Drax's whole purpose is to kill Thanos. Well, in this movie, it's to kill Ronan. And the Ronin in the MCU is the straight villain Ronin. He can't come back from it. This is 60s and 70s, nothing but a bad guy Ronin. Right. So, of course, the rest with Drax, we have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And then, of course, we have Infinity War and Endgame. And eventually, Guardians 3 that James Gunn is currently working on when he is done with the Suicide Squad. So, this is like a great lineup of movies. Batista's gotten a really great choice of movies here. These are some of my favorites. And can we just say that he's the best professional wrestler turned actor ever? Oh, mm. just based on acting, I know that I know that Dwayne the Rock Johnson is the world's favorite action star, and that's fine. He's the new Arnold. Batista is quite the actor. I would agree with that. It's something I'm going to think about because The Rock has really improved dramatically over the years, too. He has. He's become quite the actor. But have you seen Batista in that Dune trailer? That's <laughs> all have. you need to know, man. Yeah. Batista being part of House Harkonnen, the villains of the Dune universe. So cool. Is a role I want to see him play, especially after Drax being so lovable and kind of this fan mm-hmm. favorite, audience favorite, humor-based character. Let's see Batista as an assassin for House Harkonnen. Let's see. Well, he's got a little experience with it, but in that uh, Bond movie, he didn't have any lines. It was pretty early in his movie career, but he was a very menacing assassin. He did have some action scenes that were very good. Yeah. And of course, he's in the opening cold open scene of Blade Runner 2049, which was Denis Villeneuve's last movie, the guy who's doing Dune. So, of mm-hmm. course, they developed a relationship there. Great opening scene. He only plays you know a shorter part. Great acting once again. So I think this is a natural time for us to talk about, Chris, what we talk about every week. But the casting of Batista for Drax was a exceptional decision. And we say this every time with casting, but it's a little bit different with a character like Drax, I feel like. I don't know if we've come up to this point yet, a character quite this different. And let's face it, casting Batista is a risk. He was not a proven quantity at the time. He had some comedy chops. You knew he did from his wrestling days. For those of you that don't know, I'm a major professional wrestling fan. Chris is. So he had some some comedy chops that could be seen if you knew, but it was kind of one of those things you only know if you know. And I think it was kind of a major risk casting someone that is seen as a professional wrestler in a in a major Marvel film with lines and, you know, the story being built around him in a sense. Guardians took a lot of risks and they all paid off. <laughs> yeah, he knocked it out of the park, man. Batista's great. Yeah, he was a great choice for this. And of course, now he's kind of becoming his own little superstar. Like we've got a lot of actors that studios have taken a chance on like this, these physical actors that are truly natural actors. They're not necessarily character or method actors. They're more just sort of natural actors and they have a physicality to them. Batista is a great example of that. Even The Rock's a great example of that. But I mean, go one step further. People like Jason Momoa, who's now becoming a superstar too, he is now Aquaman. No, he's Duncan Idaho. That's absolutely right. It's coming up soon. Both of them are in this Dune film, if you can't tell we're excited about that. It's so cool that these guys can prove themselves on a physical level first, and sort of a visual level, and a body actor's point, and then they get in the game, and they're like, hey, I have acting chops too, you know? And that's pretty cool. It's really cool. 
because of course you cast Batista too because he has the body of Drax. He has oh, he's the huge. look of Drax. Just everything about him does fit Drax. And I do like the way they went with Drax in the MCU, Chris, how they did change Drax's colors. And I understand why they did it and I actually did some research pulling this too. So Drax, of course, in the MCU is more of a gray with some blue highlights in it. And then of course the darker red markings on him and the comics, he's green with the red markings and they're a little bit more primary red. Well, first of all, they MCU'd it up. They made it a little bit less comic-y, you know, make it a little bit more digestible with regular comics, tone that red down a little bit, but his skin changing from green to the gray was actually a creative decision they made. So no one would be confused that he's not related to Gamora at all. And I think that was actually a really good decision for new audiences. I would agree, especially the whole Guardians franchise was a risk. It was a very, even in the comic world, we said, what? They're making a we what did. movie? Yeah, I was like, well, I love Rocket. He's he's a cool guy. He's been around. <laughs> so little audience familiarization with, with these characters, then I think that was absolutely the right call. Right. And then you don't really encroach on the original design of Gamora, but then you just kind of tweak Drax's color a little bit. And then you've kind of got even a more dynamic looking team with more skin colors represented and all this good stuff. Yeah. You kind of just go more creative with it, more wide, and it works. You know, bringing this full circle to MCP, my Drax is the MCU colors. He's gray with the dark red markings because I think it looks great. I also think the comic book Drax is a great look as well. So whatever route you want to go. So Chris, moving on from Drax, because basically in Infinity War and Endgame, Infinity War, he tries to fight Thanos. He wants to avenge his family once again, but Thanos has the reality gem, basically defeats all the Guardians with ease. And then, of course, they fight him again at the end of Infinity War, and they really try to defeat Thanos on Titan. But, of course, Peter Quill can't keep it together. And after he finds out that Thanos killed Gamora for the Soul Stone, he can't handle it. it. Ends up costing all their lives, getting snapped. Drax gets snapped, gets brought back in Endgame, and he's in that final fight. You know, with the hundreds of characters on screen fighting that final fight that ILM did, George Lucas's digital team doing that insane, insane battle at the end of Endgame, Drax is jumping on black dwarfs back and stabbing him repeatedly over and over again i just think it's interesting that like that's the target that drax goes for in that in the final fight that's the biggest guy out there you know the biggest guy and then of course guardians 3 is coming out we're gonna get more drax can't wait you know just can't wait so chris we need to get into ronin ronin plays a small role in the mcu which makes me very sad because of course he was a villain so he doesn't get to do as much he is the main villain of guardians of the galaxy working directly under thanos we even see some of his ruthlessness as he kills a couple of thanos's assistants because they keep making him wait to speak with thanos he doesn't like that we see him accuse people drip the blood into the altar this is pretty intense ronin yeah pretty intense he's he's very big on the zealotry in this movie he got very big for his britches in this movie <laughs> yes and he hates xandar and he hates all the people of the planet and of course he rages war against all the people and the guardians have to come and defeat him through the power stone and they do defeat him of course he's mentioned in deleted scenes of guardians 2 and he's also mentioned in Endgame, but more importantly, in Captain Marvel in the 1990s, when the Kree first come to Earth, what we're shown in the MCU, 
Captain Marvel goes binary and defeats Ronan's fleet. And this is the good Ronan before he's become the evil Ronan we see later in the green and everything. And he's very impressed by Captain Marvel's power. How could you not be? Yeah. And then he retreats and he's like, okay, they have a guardian to protect this planet. And that's it. And, you know, it's cool to see him again in the flesh many years younger. So let's talk about Ronan. The casting of Ronan is really interesting, Chris. They have the actor Lee Pace, who's been in a lot of things. Most notably in recent years, he played the Elven King and the Hobbit films, the Wood Elf Realm, Thranduil. He's a really interesting looking guy, but it's really hard to wrap your head around that he plays Ronan, if that makes sense. Because, you know, the makeup, sometimes you just forget, you know, and someone can act so well too, and his voice is so different from his normal roles, where it's typically more the British, you know, super educated type character and all this sort of stuff. It kind of just throws you for a loop, I guess, is the way to call it, maybe, if that makes sense. But once again, great casting. I thought he did a great job. Lee Pace was kind of a, I don't want to say a weird choice, maybe a little unexpected, maybe not as big a star power as we were kind of used to, Yep. but he did a great job and he really did just bring that character to life in, in a really good way. Dramatic. <laughs> Very dramatic. Really just turned that villainy up to 11 there. Got to. You're in the MCU now, you know. You got to be a bad boy. Well, Chris, I think it's time to get into their superpowers. So Drax... We mentioned early on, he had a lot of superpowers, right? But I mean, when those get stripped away, the Drax we really know, what are his superpowers? The smaller form of Drax has a greatly reduced power set compared to the initial cosmic Drax. So we he lost flight, he lost the energy blasts, but he is still an excellent hand-to-hand combatant. He is still... Very, very strong. In some incarnations, he gets stronger the closer he is to Thanos, as a matter of fact. Oh, and he also uses knives in battle because they can penetrate Thanos' force field. Yeah, you don't want to go toe-to-toe with him. But also on top of that, Chris, Ronan's power set, first of all, he's a really big, strong Kree. And that, first of all, that means that his physiology is resistant to toxins, poisons, and diseases. He has superhuman physical attributes, which are all further enhanced by his exoskeleton body armor that he wears into combat. And Ronan's armor also contains multiple scanners that can create fields of invisibility, and his gauntlets can discharge cosmic energy bolts or generate sufficient coldness to place certain life forms into a state of a suspended animation. In addition, Ronan possesses a brilliant strategic military mind. His high intellect allowed him to rise above to become one of the highest positions in the Kree Empire, and he has extensive knowledge in all matters pertaining to Kree law and is well-versed in the use of his species' highly advanced technology. Of course, Ronan's primary weapon we mentioned earlier is a Warhammer-like accuser Cosmi Rod called the Universal Weapon. At its wielder's will, the device can absorb fire and cosmic energy, It can manipulate matter, generate force fields, control gravity, and create time-motion displacement fields. It also allows for interstellar transportation, hyperspatial passages, and flight. That's a really versatile weapon. As a highly trained Kree soldier, Ronan is extremely proficient in the use of his weapon in both close and long-range confrontations. Even without his Warhammer, though, Ronan has proven to be a formidable hand-to-hand combatant. What a guy. What a guy. He is very strong, very bright. And then on top of that, he has a really fancy weapon. You don't want to fight him. 
No, that hammer, man. Can I just go get one of those from Lowe's or something? I'd love to get one. Let's let's do it. That would be great because it seems like it can do everything you need in a major battle. It sounds more like a plot device. Hey, if it works. If it works. All right, Chris, closing out our lore section. Like always, we're going to end on some comic book recommendations. I think we might have some repeats, but I assume you're going to have some new stuff for us too. Well, like always, I want you to read Annihilation, Annihilation Conquest. You guys just have to do it. You've got to do this for me. Also, try on War of Kings. It's part of that same Dan Abnett Marvel Cosmic story that happens, that thread that happens all the way through his run, which Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest are both part of. Very cool. But the other thing I want you to try is the Kree Scroll War. It's from 1971. It happens in the pages of the Avengers. It's going to be the first time that you're going to see Marvel Cosmic and Marvel Earth really, really interacting both on Earth and in space and not just in one setting. So this is going to be the first time you're going to see all of this happen. The first time you're going to see the Avengers really getting out into space and, you know, Ronan is going to be in space and on Earth. It's so it's just kind of a a marker moment for that. Sounds great. All right, Chris, let's get into strategy. Okay, starting with strategy today, we're going to jump right into Drax the Destroyer. Drax is a six stamina, medium move, height of two, threat value of three. His defenses are three physical, three energy, two mystic. Chris, anything stand out to you right off the bat with this three cost character? I like that two power mystic defense. He's weak to it. Yes, he is weak to it, but it's very thematic as Moon Dragon has messed with his mind several times. In the comics, and I just really appreciate that slight nod oh, yes. by Atomic Mass. Let's me know that they not only love these characters, but they read these characters, they know these characters. That's just a really, really cool little thing. Otherwise, you know, for a three-cost character, he's got decent amount of health, but everything else seems to be pretty three-cost. Yeah, I think everything's pretty three-cost. His mystic defense is low, and then, of course... As you just mentioned, his health is a little bit high for three costs, which is nice. And mentioning his health while we're here on his stamina, he's six on the front and six on the back. So that's a 12 health three cost character, which is maybe potentially one of the main reasons you're going to take him. He's very Groot-ish in that way. Groot has 14, like we talked about before, which is absurd. He's the highest three threat right now, but Drax the Destroyer coming right behind him, 12. It's pretty good. It's not bad at all. Chris, you want to start us off with his first attack? His first attack is named Blades. It is a physical attack. It is range 2, strength 5, power cost of 0. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. But that's not all, folks. If the target character has the Bleed special condition, you may reroll two attack dice during this attack. Not bad. Hold on, we got one more. There is a wild trigger. Upon rolling a wild, you will trigger bleed. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains the bleed special condition. It all sounds good. It's a decent strike. It's a five dice strike, but then on top of that, wild trigger for bleed. And then if they're already bleeding from maybe Drax striking them the first time or from another character procking a bleed, he gets rerolls. It's nothing crazy. It's decent. It's good, Chris. I like it. Range two. Is always rough, though. Range 2 is pretty rough, but thankfully he's got a lot of health. He can take a little bit of pounding. 
Yes, he certainly can. The second attack is a physical attack called Headbutt. It is also a range two attack. It is four dice, not five, and a power cost of two. Interesting. It has a wild trigger stun. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains the stun special condition. And then it also has a little bit here, Chris, that's not a wild trigger, just happens. If the target character is size three or less, after this attack is resolved, it may be pushed away from this character short. So this is a less damage strike that doesn't give bleed. It gives stun instead, but he gets a free push out of it. You're basically going to use this attack for that push. Yeah. This is point control. That's that's all this is. And if you yeah. get the stun, that's great. But this is 100% control of a point. Right, which is what you want him for if he's going to be just tanking a point like we're kind of alluding to with his health and kind of just being the short range character. So yeah, you might want to use this ability later in a round, Chris, when you kind of see right. the board is set, all the characters have moved, Drax can do this. Maybe sneak in an neck victory point. At the end of the round. Hopefully so. Let's talk about his next attack. It is also a physical attack. It's called Titan Killer. Once again, it is going to be range two. It's going to be a strength of three. The power cost of three. I have a feeling we might have some text here. Add one die to this attack roll for every damage token on this character. So if you're making this attack with one health left on this side, it will be an eight dice attack. Correct. Not so bad. There's also a wild trigger. On a wild, we're going to trigger throw. Before damage is dealt, if the target character is size four Ooh. or less, this character may throw the target character away short. That, of course, is Hulk, the Black Dwarf, and MODOK all day. That's cool, man. Yeah. Size four throw is nothing to scoff at. It is a wild trigger, which is always, we never know when we're going to get wilds. But yeah, most notably, Chris, this attack, you're not going to do it often because you're going to do it when Drax is hurt. So you need to time it right because if Drax has two damage on him, you're probably just going to do his, his strike, you know, his five dice. So Absolutely. you need to know when the time is right. Very thematic. He's hurt real bad. He's going in for the kill on Thanos with eight dice. He's going to throw Thanos because he can throw size four or less. It, it works perfectly. I love the theme. I love the feel. And notice something, Chris, because we're at the end of Drax's attacks here. They're all range two and they're all physical. So he's right. a pretty one note man here. And that's okay. I really like that we're getting to this point in the game where we can really go more specialized in one note with characters of certain threat values. So getting into his superpowers, his first superpower is an active superpower called The Destroyer. Choose an interactive terrain feature or enemy character, both size three or less and within range two. Once again, Drax wants that range two. Throw it short. The superpower can be used only once per turn. A power cost of three. It's another throw. This one's going to happen, though. We love throws. We love them. Let's talk about his next superpower. It is a reactive superpower. It's called Driven by Vengeance. It's going to have a power cost of zero. When this character is damaged by an enemy attack, you may use this superpower. Place a Vengeance token on or move an existing Vengeance token to the enemy character that caused the effect. When this character targets a character that has a vengeance token with an attack, this character rolls three additional attack dice. After this attack is resolved, the vengeance token is removed. This character may have only one vengeance token in play at a time. Pretty cool. Very cool. Extra dice. That makes his regular strike eight, which is pretty exceptional. 
Yes, sir. It kind of makes him easier to guide. But, you know, once again, whoever attacks you last or that you move the vintage token to last, if you target them, they're kind of paying a cost. Like you're getting free dice, you know, and if you attack twice, that's six additional dice. If you get lucky, this is a pretty cool mechanic. It's not going to happen as much as you would like, but when it does happen, it's going to feel really fun and really like Drax. Drax's last superpower is an innate superpower called I Can Take It. When this character would suffer damage from an enemy effect, reduce the amount suffered by one to a minimum of one. We've seen this time and time again on characters like Crossbones, Iron Man, members of the Black Order. It's great, Chris. He's going to reduce the damage incoming by one. But no matter what, he's always going to take one. Those chip damage, those pings, those low damage attacks that still get through your defenses, he's still going to take that damage. But still, reducing one damage, so if someone does three to you and you reduce down to two, that adds up after a while and it adds to Drax's tankiness because he has 12 health. He's a very tanky boy. He's simple. He's tanky. He has to get in your face to do damage, which is a bummer. But at his worst, he's a healthy character that's on an objective and not dying easily on there. At his best, he's holding the objective and then throwing you off and then stabbing you with all these extra dice and these big attacks when his health gets low. And I've said this before, Chris, and it's kind of a mean joke now, but I think Drax is what Crossbones dreams at night of being. Because the medium move is huge, you know? And, of course, Crossbones' ceiling is much higher for damage. And Crossbones, of course, has the I-can-take-it sort of ability as well. He has a high health pool as well. We're seeing themes here. They're very similar, but Drax has the medium move. If Drax has less damage slightly, he still has a medium move. And it requires a little bit more finesse to use Crossbones. Once again, I think they're both fine. I think they're both good characters. I don't think they're unplayable in the slightest. You need to know how to use them and get them in positions where they're going to be because whether you're playing Crossbones or Drax, deployment is very important. Where you decide they deploy is kind of the way they're going to go for the game. They're going to kind of stick to that path, stick to that deployment. They're not really going to be jumping around all over the map a lot, you know? No, these are going to be fairly stationary characters like you're talking about. Poor crossbones. Poor crossbones. I, I agree. That medium movement really just is a completely different world. It just really brings Drax kind of way above crossbones. Yeah. And Drax also has quite a bit of burst damage potential. If the stars align, Drax really can put out some damage. So, you know, it's not a total loss in the damage department when comparing to crossbones. When the time is right for Drax, the time is right. He'll get it done. But Chris, I think we got to move on because Drax is pretty simple and our next character is a little bit more intense. He happens to be currently one of my favorite characters to play in the entire game. And that is not a joke. That is very real. He's almost in all my lists. That's Ronan the Accuser. His name is Ronan the Accuser and his alter ego is Ronan the Accuser. Drax's alter ego, by the way, I missed it earlier, is just Drax. Not Arthur Douglas. No, just Drax. So it's the Drax that we've come to know in recent years. So Ronan has six stamina, a medium move, a height of three, a threat cost of four. His defenses are three physical, four energy, four mystic. Chris, anything stand out to you about Ronan? Well, the height three makes me think it's going to be a bigger base. So that means that medium movement is worth a little bit more. It is. On that bigger base. It certainly is. I also see that that extra threat cost has gotten you a little bit of extra defense. A little bit. Yeah, not quite as much as a a Hela who's fours across the board. 
but I think we're going to mix up for it in other ways, you know? And we kind of got an interesting way to start looking at all the threes, all the fours, you know, that sort of thing. Once again, Ronan has the same amount of health as Drax. He has six and six, six on his healthy side, six on his injured side. So once again, interesting points for Drax because Drax is a very, very healthy three cost. So let's just get into Ronan's attacks, Chris. His first attack is Strike. It is a physical attack. Range 2, Strength 5, Power Cost 0. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. On a wild, you're going to trigger Throw. It is going to be a Size 4 Throw. That's right. That's another big throw from another big cosmic character. Kind of seeing a theme. The notable part is it has to be thrown away, which is, of course, is more limiting. It's not just a throw wherever, you know, you got to throw them in that away direction. But size four characters. Yeah, Chris. I mean, these are some big, healthy guys, you know, they, they can do a lot. Meat slapping, dude. Yeah, meat slapping. They are throwing people left and right. Ronan's second attack is an energy attack called Universal Weapon. What do you know? It's a range four, five strength, zero power cost. On a wild, you get push. If the target character is size four, once again, or less, before damage is dealt, it may be pushed away from Ronan short. If this attack deals damage after the attack is resolved, the target character gains the shock special condition. That just happens. That's not even part of the wild trigger I mentioned from the push. They just gain shock. So I love this attack, Chris. It could use one more dice, but I think it'd be too strong. But a range four or five sure. dice attack that gives auto shock and pushes people when you get wild is really great for objective control and just like controlling the battlefield, which turns out is Ronin's theme. I love auto conditions. Yes. The non-wild condition triggers, they just force your opponent to make a difficult choice. They do. Which is always something that you're looking to do. That's right. Let's talk about his next attack. It is Cree Justice. It is an energy attack. It is range 2, strength 8, power cost 4. If this attack deals damage, after this attack is resolved, the target character gains the stun and stagger special condition. Not as hard to get as a wild trigger, but you do have to get damage through. But with eight dice, you're probably going to get that. On a wild, you're going to trigger explosive. Before damage is dealt, other enemy characters within range two of the target character suffer one damage. Ooh. That's an auto ping. They don't get to dodge it. No, they don't. This can top people off. It can knock people over to their day's side. It, it can win objectives. It's great. Notice this is a range two attack, Chris. It's a little bit more limiting, but you know, Ronin is a problem at range two and range four. Notice, Chris, with his attacks too, every single one of them has a wild trigger and every single one of them, except the strike, which is only the wild trigger, but the other two give auto conditions. And that's a theme with Ronin. Really cool. He is a control piece on your battlefield. He's giving out shock. He's pushing people. He's giving out stun and stagger. He's throwing people. He's exploding his damage and pinging other characters on the battlefield. That's a lot of control this one character brings without even getting to his superpowers. What do you know? We probably should just get into his superpowers. I think we should. His first superpower is called Judgment. It's a reactive superpower that costs two power. When this character or an allied character within range three of Ronin is damaged by an enemy effect, after the effect is resolved, you may use this superpower. 
the character that caused the effect gains the judgment special condition. In judgment reads like this, a character with a judgment condition does not gain power when damaged by an enemy attack. That's gross. Yeah, it's really good. All attacks give you no power whatsoever, which is incredible. But on top of that, a throw or something, Chris, would still give you power. So if you were thrown, took damage, you'd gain power that way. But this is so gross. This is like the buffed version of stun. Because, you know, stun reduces you down to one power, right? Right. This is kind of a different animal. This is pretty rough. Certain characters hate this so much. I have won so many games off of Ronin's back because I've been applying judgment to the power pieces of their team every chance I can get. It's huge. Put this on a Thor. It's a problem for him. Absolutely. If he has less power or if some of these major characters have less power, they can't do what they want to do on their card. And inevitably, you basically gimp their entire team because they kind of just lost threat value. In the case of Thor, he's five threat. It almost would be better to have a two threat and a three threat in that instance, just holding objectives and fighting people regularly. But instead, they had only Thor, and you just crippled him with judgment. Let's talk about his next superpower. It is a reactive power. It is called the Accuser. It is a zero-cost power. If an enemy effect would cause this character to be dazed or KO'd, After the effect is resolved, you may use this superpower. This character immediately advances short and may make one attack targeting the enemy character that caused the effect. Then this character is dazed or KO'd. Oh boy. So this is incredible. I'm a big fan of this, Chris, as you know. So you're going to want to knock him out with a range 5 attack. But even then... He could advance short and the universal weapon. So, yeah. That's true. (laughs) You're in a bad spot. You want to get him in a choke or something. That is so frustrating as the opponent to play against. The thing is, is you want to kill him early when he's not maybe fed on a lot of power or he hasn't secured his spot on the map because then you're just killing him on a spot on the map he doesn't want to be. But if he's on an objective or behind an objective and then you kill him and then he advances up more onto the objective, gets a free move out of it, and then gets a free attack before he's dazed, that's just a problem. And- There is some interesting interactions here, though subtle, and though maybe not as extreme as they sound. Say Ronan dies early in a round before he activates. Say you have first priority and you kill him. Well, he does get to accuse people. He gets to advance short and then do one of his attacks. So this very well could be the Creed Justice, which is where it feels really bad. But, you know, he didn't get to activate this round. And normally in miniatures games and of course marvel christ protocol that's pretty advantageous to remove away an activation but if you've got that field dressing on your team like i frequently carry when i play ronin i kind of auto include it he got a free attack but then he was dazed well now i go pay field dressing and i bring him back to life as then i take the dazed token off of him heal a little bit of damage and do you really want to kill him the second time this round and make him attack again you put the opponent in a really interesting decision because They don't know what to do, but on top of that, if they don't kill him again and give him that free attack once again, he's going to go on his turn and double activate. It's it's a huge question for the opponent. Ronin's just a great question asker and a great objective holder, and he creates problems wherever he goes, and that part of the map is kind of under his domain, and I love it so much. His last superpower is that he's a gym bearer. He can take the 
power gem. And he also has a innate ability that he has immunity to poison. As we talked about in our lore earlier, the Kree is being immune to poisons. So he can't gain poison, which is great. He's always going to generate his power like normal. And you can give him the power gem. So think about this. The power gem Ronin means that every round Ronin will gain one power from the round and two power from the power gem. So that's three power around. That's a problematic Ronin as well. That's a hard Ronin to deal with. Yes. Absolutely. What an awesome character. He's I so good. absolutely adore him on the tabletop in the comics. I adore the sculpt. Ronan is a star in MCP as far as I'm concerned. I would agree with you 100%, Chris, and he makes pretty much all my rosters for that purpose. You know, to be honest, like I've always thought Ronan was cool, and I even thought this model looked really great, and I was like, okay, I'm probably going to play him a lot in MCP. I did not know how much I was going to play him because this kit, the feel of this character, these free attacks... The passing out judgment when you make these right decisions when you're playing him, using his attacks well, using his throws well, passing out conditions. When you do all these things right as a Ronin player, it feels really good and you actually have control of the battle. And you care less when the dice fail you because you're still playing the character right, you're passing out conditions right, and you're controlling the battlefield, which is his goal when he plays the game. And he's going to accuse you. And let's talk about these sculpts. You mentioned Ronan's looking great. Let's just talk about Ronan's real quick. He's holding the universal weapon out, accusing somebody. I'm a huge fan of this. You've always got to keep him pointed at his target. It's just too thematic. It's too good. They are accused. And I posted my Ronan on the Instagram and the Facebook. And I kind of made a little twist like I always do, Chris, with some of the basing and things. But the twist was this Ronan is accusing people. And the blood of his enemies, specifically the alien blood that I chose, is falling into those cracks in the holes in the base because the medium-sized base I chose for Ronin was, of course, the one with that big indentation in the ground. And, of course, got to fill that up with alien blood, you know? He's just popping them right there. No other choice. And then skulls, you know, because, you know, they're there to remind others. He's a bad guy, and he's done some bad things. <laughs> And his base needs to represent that. So he's accusing Absolutely. You. When Drax first was shown, a lot of people were a little bit underwhelmed. I counterpoint that and say, what could be a more Drax pose than this? He's standing, screaming, blades out. I, I was going to make the same point. I will concede, however, I'm still a little underwhelmed by the sculpt. It's no Winter Soldier. It is an extremely Drax pose. The sculpt isn't terrible. It's just... You know, it just is what it is. It's just it's just good. Mm-hmm. And we've come to expect great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've come to expect great, which I think speaks to how awesome Atomic Mass has been at getting these beautiful sculpts together. When we see this Drax and it's something that underwhelms us, I think that means we're a very spoiled fan base. We're definitely spoiled. I am a big fan of the MCU colors, and that's the route I went, as I mentioned earlier. And it fits this pose really well, because Chris, he's done this pose in the MCU movies as well, a lot. Sure. Very fitting, you know, the blades out. I actually have seen some people do the inverse, you know, the flipping of the blades, making it a little bit more comic book style, Mm -hmm. where he's got them facing downward. I think that's notable and interesting as well, and worth doing if you want to go that route. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch our streams of Marvel Christ Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest and follow the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast. 
and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. Email us at furiesfinest at gmail.com and reach out to us if you're a terrain company. We mentioned this in our recent episodes, but we are working on a terrain episode in the future. And if you have terrain for MCP or playmats or tokens or things like that that you want represented on our episode or for us to review, reach out to us. We would love to talk. Also, once again, continue to leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. We see several of you guys have left us reviews lately. It's been really wonderful. It helps the show grow. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And please help spread the word about our show by rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. That's J-E-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. Check out my Star Wars podcast, The Canon Cantina, which is about all things Star Wars story. And check out my other Star Wars podcast, Project Starhawk, which has been a really exciting new podcast to do that's been growing a lot about Star Wars Squadrons, which comes out really within two weeks, which is pretty absurd, Chris. Oh, I'm so excited. We're going to have a blast playing it. It's going to be a really nice unwinding game for us. If you're even remotely interested in Squadrons or you need to be convinced to pick up this $40 great game that's coming out for all systems, check out my podcast, Project Starhawk. You can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T, where I have been doing some retweeting. It's begun. Begun, the tweeting has. I'm trying to be a Twitter person, a tweeter. <laughs> a tweeter. Once again, guys, make sure to check out our T Public page. It, of course, is linked in the show notes, and we, of course, will link it on all of our social media. But we really want you guys to get merch in your hands. We're really proud of this design and this aesthetic we're bringing. We think it's really fun. And we would love to see some of you guys out there in T-shirts or hoodies or stickers, things like that, with these new designs and of course, the ones we have coming in the future with other characters. So just check it out. It really means a lot to us. Thanks for listening, true believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything will surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. in my possession as I promised bring it to me yes that was our agreement bring you the orb and you will destroy Xandar for me however now that I know it contains an infinity stone I wonder what use I have for you boy I would reconsider your current course master you cannot Thanos is the most powerful being in the universe. Not anymore.
I will unfurl 1,000 years of Kree justice on Xandar and burn it to its core! Then, Thanos, I'm coming for you. After Xandar, you were going to kill my father? You dare to oppose me? You see what he has turned me into? You kill him, I will help you destroy a thousand planets.